0: I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. Was that loud? Was that loud enough? <laughs> Alright, I'm teaching, I'm kind of teaching through the Bible. It's, I've come to this place, I've been telling everybody about the coronavirus and what it is it doesn't matter how serious it is or how serious it is not the coronavirus aids ebola polio that was called infantile paralysis back in the 40s that's what president roosevelt died from infantile paralysis but they hadn't renamed it polio till the 1950s that was a deadly disease men people were terrified of it all you had to do was get close to somebody at Polo. You'd get it and die. It was that simple until they found a vaccine for it. But if you notice, Polo didn't stop all diseases. I keep telling you that the Bible says in several chapters, and it tells us all through the Old Testament, that I will send all of these diseases upon Israel if they do not obey God. I don't just believe these current diseases from this last century were the judgments of God. I believe the the virus from 1918 where several million people died was of God. I believe the bubonic plague where up to 200 million people died was of God and the funny thing about the bubonic plague it was raging during the Inquisition of the Roman Catholics when they were killing people all over the world because they would not worship the, sacra- the sacrament of the Mass. They wouldn't take that. Well, I have. I've been trying to tell people all of these diseases, as well as smallpox, were 25. To 75 million people died of smallpox. And people say they can't keep count of how many people actually die of this coronavirus. They couldn't keep count of that either. Because they had to count everybody that died along with the smallpox or with the bubonic plague. The bubonic plague was at a time where Roman Catholicism was raging throughout the world. And I believe it's still raging. And I believe this virus will increase. If it doesn't, God knows how to send us another virus, a killer virus. Now, I don't know, I don't know how people can take such hard mind stands on what it is and what it is not when the best minds in the world cannot evaluate it. Now, the Bible says, I put up here on the board, God's judgments, His judgments is the, is the same, I didn't put same in here, is the same from Genesis to Revelation. His judgments are the sword, the famine, which goes along with the economy, the pestilence, which also goes with economy and goes with the famine, and the beast, that's the world ruling system, the world ruling system. And the beast was, you can find this several times in the Bible. You can find it in Daniel 7. You can find the beast in Revelation 13. You can find the beast in Hosea 13. You can find the beast in Isaiah 11. But it won't say the beast exactly. It will say the Babylonian, the lion. It says the beast rises up out of the sea. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. The beast had its borders on the sea. You had Babylon right here. That's Babylon. That is also Iraq persia which would be afghanistan iran pakistan all the stands would be persia and then you had greece right here and then you had rome so babylon persia Greece and Rome had the borders of their empire upon this sea. That's why the beast rises up out of the sea in Daniel 7 and in Revelation 13. It will say the beast comes up out of the sea in both chapters. That's not really hard if you look at a map. And you had the Babylonian lion, the most regal of all the animals of the Serengeti that's where he runs loose the Serengeti Desert he's always attacking everything there and it was the most regal of empires and then you had the bear which overthrew the lion the bear is the largest carnivore a carnivore is one animal that eats another the largest carnivore in the world is one of two bears, the polar bear or the Kodiak on Kodiak Island. The Kodiak is bigger than the polar bear. The polar bear may be a little taller. When they stand up and reach their paws up in the air, they both can be up to 16, 17 feet tall. How would you like something like that to come after you? Whoa! Don't like that at all. Well, the largest armies in the world were the Persian armies. Persian, they would have up to two hundred and fifty—not two hundred and fifty, two and a half million in one army. Two and a half million—that is a phenomenal army, even by today, by today's standards. When we would only have several hundred thousand in Vietnam, two and a half million so that was why it was called a bear and then you had something that overcame the persians and that was the grecian lion leopard the leopard of greece i've studied all these animals and that would be the grecian leopard the leopard to confront a leopard in the wilderness or in the wilds that would be your worst nightmare A leopard hunted at night. They hunted to eat. When they found a victim, you were its meal. They could grab a hundred and fifty pound man that about my size, I weigh a little more than that, grab me by the neck and drag me up to the top of a tree so the other animals couldn't get it. And they were a killing machine. Now, the lion might just shake you and throw you down and may not kill you. The bear would do the same thing. But if the leopard come after you, you you're its meal and you're going to die. That's all there is to it. That's one thing you don't want to confront in the the wilds. Then you had the, and of course, how in the world did Alexander uh, the Great overthrow this Persian bear? He did it very militarily, very strategically. He would hit it its haunches and go over here and hit it over here. Alexander the Great was a brilliant strategist. He knew, he came up with the most unbelievable ideas that you can think of. He studied things about military warfare that other people didn't study. When these chariots, when they'd go to war with with somebody that had iron chariots an iron chariot was a were the wheels say this is a wheel then you had this and these are wheels here and the wheels had these scythes s-c-y-t-h-e-s you saw those scythes on the side of those chariots in the Ten Commandments if you saw that and you always see them and that was called iron chariots I'm getting a front view of it that was those were scythes and you could not stand in front of them in a battle they would just rip through the crowds and body parts would go flying there's no way you could stand against them so what Alexander the Great did he didn't study the chariots. He studied the horses. And he found out something. When they would come against his army, and he would—he learned that if you just open up, if this is the battle line of all his soldiers, he came to realize that a horse will stop if it's got four sides of a wall on it and what he did he learned just to open up and have everybody step back and have a wall of humans like that and the chair would come in and stop he was brilliant he, st- he didn't study the church how to conquer them he just opened it up and the men would stand there, and that guy would stop in his chariot, and they'd kill him, take his horse and buggy, and go somewhere else with it. He was a genius. So he he'd had a, a phalanx. Perhaps you've seen this. I've seen it in some movies. A phalanx was men aligned in a phalanx. P-H-A-L-Y-N-X A A phalanx was men and I'm just making a big square because that's what it was all these men would be lined up in this phalanx and they would all march in rank together and they would not get out of line and they'd have their spears out there pointing out to everybody so that nobody could get into this phalanx, and they could march that thing, it was like a moving square, and they would go, and he kind of came up with this phalanx thing, and they'd have their spears and their swords out there, and you couldn't get to the guys, and they had this phalanx where that they would conquer, and that's how they conquered the bear, they would hit him from here, then it hit him from here. Finally, the bear of the Persian army wore down. And, I and Alexander the Great might have 30,000 at a time, just popping the haunches of the bear here and here and here. That's why people can't understand. How could a leopard beat a bear? That's how. And he was a killing machine. That's what he was. And he had all of these ways. And then, of course, along comes, along comes, after the Persian bear, the leopard, the beast with iron teeth. And everywhere you find iron, iron always represents Rome. So the beast with iron teeth is the same thing in the second chapter of Daniel where you had... The image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and it had a head of gold, and that's going to equate with the lion gold being the most precious of metals at that time, and then it had uh, it had a a chest of silver. Notice something as it goes down to this image the metals get less valuable, less precious, less precious but stronger. Silver is stronger than gold. And then it had a torso of brass. That's stronger than silver and stronger than gold, but it's a lot less precious. And then it had legs, of iron so the brass the silver is going to be a type of the Persian bear the brass is going to be a type of the leopard and the legs of iron is going to be like the beast with iron teeth and then when you get over there into Revelation the ninth chapter is talking about the scorpions we said scorpions are false teachers scorpion In the Greek, you've got a noun and a verb form of the noun. The noun Scorpios. Scorpios is the noun. Scorpidzo is the verb. Scorpidzo is the verb. And how are you tying this with the judgment of God? It is... What God brings upon Israel is judgment. Scorpizil means to scatter. That's the word that Jesus used when he said the hireling, the man that preaches for money. Hireling, people like Kenneth Copeland and Fred Price, the hireling cares not for the sheep. He allows the wolf to come in and scatter the flock and scatters the birth form of scorpion. So scorpions are same thing as wolves false teachers and the amazing thing is these scorpions in revelation 9 revelation 9 guess what they had they had breastplates of iron of iron They had breastplates of iron. Well, What does that mean? I've got a book on arachnids. Arachnids are eight-legged animals, like scorpions. They have eight legs. And this book on arachnids, A-R-A-C-H, arachnids, I think that's the way you spell it, arachnids that's eight-legged critters, and that's what a scorpion is. And it says, you can tell what family in this arachnid book that a scorpion belongs to by its breastplate. Isn't it amazing? God says these scorpions have breastplates of iron, the same thing as the beast with iron teeth and the same thing as the legs of iron on the image of Nebuchadnezzar. Same thing. Now, I'm trying to keep. Well, I dropped my pen. It's probably real important. It wouldn't bother me if this, if everybody's watching. (laughs) All right. Now, I'm trying to go through the Bible and show you. I've been talking to you about verses God tells his judgment when they're coming out of the wilderness, Israel's coming out of the wilderness. When they're coming out of the wilderness, that's after 400 years in Egypt. There were 400 years in Egypt. Some people try to argue and say there were 200, and that it goes back to Abraham. Abraham was never in bondage in Egypt. Let me show you something that will prove that. Look at Genesis, the 15th chapter. People try to say that the 400 years goes back and takes in Abraham. It couldn't. That was bondage. Not according to the Bible. The Bible says they were being abused for 400 years. Abraham was never abused in Egypt. In Genesis, the 15th chapter, this is where God comes to Abraham and says, you're going to have a son. But it will not be a son out of this Eliezer, this wonderful servant, this Syrian servant in your household. It will be out of your own loins and Sarah's own womb. Now, that was a promise of God when Abraham was 99 years old. And Sarah was 89. That means she's going to have a baby at 90. She was too old. She didn't ovulate anymore. Didn't have any egg anymore. She couldn't. But God said, you will. And Abraham believed God and staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. So he's going to have a child when he's 100. And that's what this 15th chapter of Genesis is about. This is how God's promise keeps going. I'm talking about the covenant. And we we always think the covenant began with Abraham. Well, it does to some kind of a degree. Because Abraham was the father of many nations. But it goes all the way back to Noah. God made the same covenant with Noah. It's one covenant. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And you will obey me. Obey is the key. If you do not obey me, I'll send these four judgments. I will not forsake my covenant with you. I'm. This is really funny. Because... A covenant is a promise. From a king to his subjects, it amazes me covenant has the basic same meaning as agape. Two words in the Greek, agape and phileo. They are not the same word. They've both been translated to love, along with charity has been translated to love. And charity is always the word agape every time you see it in the New Testament. Always. I don't know why the translators translated charity. If they'd have translated love, if they'd have translated all the one word, it had been easier to understand. And phileo. Now when you go into Kittle's New Testament Dictionary of Greek words, that's a ten volume set I've got in my library. They will tell you that agape was a relationship that fathers had for their families, that they gave them laws, they gave them careers, and if the father was a was a carpenter, then you'd be a carpenter. If the father was Paul said, "I was a my father was a Pharisee and his father was a Pharisee, so he was a son of the Pharisees." And Jesus told the Pharisees, "Your father's the devil. The works of your father you will do. To be called a son of someone, you had to be doing the works of that father. That that holds true from one end of the Bible to the other. So." Agape has the basic same meaning as covenant, B-E-R-I-Y-T-H. If agape, uh, phileo means to have affection. You can have affection for anything. You can like cake, like God, like ice cream. You can like drugs, like to get drunk. You can like your dog. You can like your wife or your car or your house. That's not Agape. What gets me? Most big great scholars say it, it's the same thing. It is not. I don't know. This is agape. Second John 6. That we walk after his commandments. That's exactly what covenant is. Bereath. What's amazing, in a covenant, the strongest of the parties gave the law and the lesser of the parties had to be obedient to it. That was a contract, or a covenant, or agape. That's what the theological Word Book tells you. The theological Word Book was written by Gleason Archer, Walke, and Harris. Excellent set of books. Two books. They're tied directly to Strong's. And they tell you, Covenant, Bereth, Between nations, a treaty, alliance, of friendship, between individuals, a pledge, or an agreement. Obligation between a monarch and his subjects. Same meaning as agape. So they would be synonyms. And God gives Israel his commandments. He says here in chapter 15. He's promising him a son. And he says, Behold, the word of the Lord, verse 4, came unto Abraham, saying, This shall not be thine heir. Talking about Eliezer in verse 2. Eliezer is a Syrian, he's a wonderful friend of Abraham, very faithful to Abraham. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this Eliezer will not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own, thou shall be thine heir, Abraham. He was 99. He'd never had a son. Well, he wasn't 99 yet. He is 99 in that 17th chapter where God gives him the covenant. And then he says down here, I'm going to give you the land in verse 7. The land of Israel is promised. And then in verse 13, he said unto Abraham, or to Abram, his name was at first, Abram means proud father. Abraham means father of many nations. And he said to Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict your seed four hundred years. Abraham was never afflicted. Neither was Isaac. Neither was Jacob afflicted in the land of Egypt. Neither was Joseph afflicted for 400 years. They weren't afflicted till you get to Exodus, the first chapter. And that's where they went into bondage in Egypt. And Joseph was dead. Much less... Abraham being dead, and Isaac being dead, and Jacob being dead. None of them was in any kind of affliction in Egypt. Joseph was the same thing as the king in Egypt, because he saved Egypt. So, you, not only there, but you got it over here in Acts. You got it all through the Bible in Acts, the seventh chapter, Acts 7. When the Bible says they're afflicted 400 years, and most scholars will say the 400 years goes back to Abraham. It does not. There was no affliction with Abraham. In fact, he ended up in Egypt, and the king saw Abraham's wife. And Abraham said, you tell the king that you're my sister. And she actually was. Because Sarah was dropped dead gorgeous she was beautiful why would God give Abraham an ugly wife this is going to be the mother of all the children of Israel the king wanted to procure this woman for himself and the king had a dream and this angel came to the king in a dream to Pharaoh and said don't you touch this woman she is of me And then the king goes to Abraham and says, why didn't you tell me that was your wife? Why did you tell me it was your sister? Take her, your wife, and get out of here. He was never, I mean never, was he in any kind of bondage. Neither was Jacob, neither was Isaac. And he says over here in Acts, the seventh chapter, This is a chapter where this chapter in chapter 7 is where Stephen is taken by the Sanhedrin and he goes into the full story. If you want to read the story of the Jews in Egypt and the story of what happened to them, read the 7th chapter of Acts. And Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin. Verse six, and God spake on this wise, that His seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage, and entreat them evil four hundred years. Same thing he said in Genesis fifteen. So these preachers that say, "Well, the four hundred years goes back to Abraham," it couldn't. Not a they. Abraham was not mistreated in Egypt. Neither was Isaac. Neither was Jacob. Neither was Joseph. Joseph rose to be number two in Egypt because he had a miracle way of saving Egypt during this great famine of seven years. Now, and then you can go back over here to what I've been talking about to the 26th chapter of Leviticus. The Bible all the way through it has the same judgment Not just for Israel, but for the church. For America here at the end of time. I believe we're on the verge of the end. I hope you got all that there. Sometimes I don't know how to bring certain parts of this into teaching, but I just need to stop and do it. Now, Israel was in Egypt. Here you had Abraham. Isaac Jacob The covenant was given to Abraham in Genesis 17. God says, "I want to have my covenant with you." And he says, "You will obey me." The covenant is a promise, but there's two sides to it. God gives the covenant to who he wills. Our God sits in heaven. He's done whatsoever he had pleased, and then he requires obedience to his covenant. I don't, can't even spell what I'm talking. O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. He requires obedience to the covenant. And he tells Abraham, The land is yours, is yours, as long as you obey me. Obey. So Jacob has, ends up with 12 sons, and Jacob's name is changed to Israel in Genesis, the thirty-second chapter. So all of his twelve sons become the nation, from Reuben, the firstborn, to Simeon, the secondborn, on down to uh, down to the thirdborn Levi, to Judah, the fourthborn. Then you get into the sons of of Leah and Rachel's handmaidens, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher. And then you get back to Leah and she has Issachar and Zebulon. And then she has a daughter, Dinah. And then by this time by this time Rachel is crying out, What about me? Do not have any get to have any sons? I am barren. You can find this story in Genesis 29 and 30. You want to read about the sons of Jacob? You'll find it there. And then Rachel, God says, All right, I'm going to give you a son, and he'll be truly my blessed son. And Rachel has Joseph. The very picture of Christ in the Old Testament and then they're over there in the land of Haran and they head back to Babylon and they've got 11 sons over there when they get back to Bethlehem in Israel this is after Jacob excuse me Joseph has been over there in the land of Haran or the land of Babylon he's been in the same place as as right, been down here. And it's 20 years later, and he's coming back. And when they get back to Bethlehem, that's where Benjamin, his 12th son, is born. That's really amazing. Now, I'm trying to tell you about how when Abraham comes back and he gets the law, or Israel gets the law when they're released from Egypt, they're taken into bondage taken into bondage in Exodus, the first chapter. That's when a king rises up, a pharaoh that doesn't know Joseph. It's not that he hadn't heard of him, it's that he's not personally acquainted with him because he's been long dead. Everyone knew that Joseph had saved Egypt. Through the great famine, when he, they stored up for seven good years, and, and then seven bad years comes, and Joseph, and they lived on that food in their storehouses because Joseph was a righteous man. Well, then you get into Exodus, the first chapter. That's where the bondage starts. All these patriarchs are long dead, and it starts here because the Pharaoh is afraid that these people are going to get so strong. They'll overthrow Egypt, so they put out the decree to kill every male child that's born. That's when, in the second chapter of Exodus, that's where Moses is put into this little ark, put in the river, Pharaoh's son comes down Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river, rescues him out of there, raises him in the house of Pharaoh, and Moses becomes a prince in Egypt. Then he hears the call. He ends up killing an Egyptian there in the second chapter. And he leaves Egypt and goes to the land of Midian. He flees. And he's gone for 40 years. He's 40 years old when he kills that Egyptian in Egypt. And he flees to Midian. Where is Midian? Midian, it is believed, ancient Midian. When Moses marries Zipporah, he runs into a shepherd in Midian. Here is the Red Sea, and then you got this Gulf coming up in here. I think that's Aquaba, and he's got that Gulf coming up there, and that's where Midian is. If this is Egypt. This is Egypt. There's the Nile River. And here is, this is the Sinai Peninsula. The Sinai Peninsula. And there's a gulf coming up right in there. Let me move this over here. This is good to know. There's a little gulf coming up right in here. Midian, this is water here. Midian was in this area right over here some say that the Midianites moved over into the Sinai Peninsula on the southwest corner so Moses is far away enough from Egypt that they're not going to think of going down here to Midian and procuring him and bringing him back for killing the Egyptian of course the uh, the the faithfulness to moses was divided among the people in egypt then they're leaving they're leaving egypt and this is important to understand for 40 years they are in the wilderness 40 years the 40 years follows the 400 years follows the 400 400 comes right after Joseph. You got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and then the 400 years, because that's after Joseph is dead. And then you got 40 years in the wilderness. And there's a reason for that. I've given that to you on other. DVDs when they spied out the land at Kadesh Barnea they spied out the land of Anak which we call the Gaza Strip which was the ancient land of the Philistines on the southwest corner of Israel and when they spied out the land for 40 days and they murmured against God and said we can't whip those giants God says just for that all, all the military men from 20 years old and upward will have to die in in the In the wilderness, and I'll see to it that they do to the man, so God kills them all off by they get to Deuteronomy when they get to Deuteronomy, that's the second law. Deuteronomy comes from duo and nomos Nomos is the Greek word law duo means second law. it took second law. And it was a repeat of things that had been said in Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It was a repeat of some of those things. And that was, it took two witnesses to verify anything in Israel. So this is the, Deuteronomy is the second witness. Well, then they get out here in the desert and they start rebelling against God. They rebel all the time. They're in the desert. They're in the desert. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And they come to the end of the desert time and Deuteronomy. And God has killed off all the rebellion from 20 years old and upward. Killed off all the rebellion. Then they go into the land. When they get into the land, this is the way things are laid out. They get into the land, and by the time they get into the land, all these pagans from other lands have come in. The land was given to Abraham in Genesis 17. That was in approximately around 2000 or 2100 B.C., then they get into the land. Israel becomes a nation under judges. And God has warned Israel, when Moses got the law on Mount Sinai, if you go after any other gods and you're not obedient to my word, I'm trying to tie this together with what's going on in America today. If you go after any of the gods, I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, which will be all kinds of diseases. And that's what America's doing. They're going after charismatic doctrine, the prosperity gospel, the false doctrine of the Baptist, the accept Christ gospel, the sinner's prayer for salvation gospel, and it's not true. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot call on a God you don't believe in. Romans 10:14. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but that'll only happen after you believe. Belief precedes calling. Accept Christ. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. That's the word receiveth means to accept an offer that's been presented the dead man in his sin cannot accept spiritual things, but you will accept spiritual things after God has birthed you by His will. And that's the truth. Now, we're getting down to these judges. Israel didn't obey God in the wilderness. They didn't obey God when they became judges. And the only reason For all these judges, this is the first time that Israel is threatened by the judgment of God. And the people that's threatening them are these judges here. They're not exactly a threat. Every time one of these judges would die, you're going to notice Israel it will say as soon as Othniel dies. Othniel was a righteous man. He was the first judge named in Israel. I believe the first judge was Joshua. He was alive when they came in and took the land. The book of Joshua, while they're still in the wilderness, while they're in the wilderness, Joshua leads Israel up here just above the Dead Sea to somewhere about where I've got this pointer at the reason it has to be there is the first city they come to when they cross the. here's the Jordan River the first city they come to is Gilgal that's where they come to and if you notice Jericho is right below this one of the first cities they attack is Jericho and then they attack Ai which is just west of here it is Ai is right here. That's in the land of Ephraim. They conquer Jericho. They march around Jericho seven times. Seven priests, they sound the trumpet. And at the last trump, the walls fall down. But they come across at Gilgal. They leave Moses over here on this side of the river because he's forbidden to go into the land because he murmured against God in the 20th chapter of Numbers he struck a rock when God told him to speak to the rock he struck it twice in anger and he was angry at the people God said just for that you don't get to go on the land and that same chapter God kills Aaron in the 20th chapter because Aaron over in the 32nd chapter of Exodus had offered a had built a golden calf because the people asked him to. Said, Moses ain't never coming back. He's been up on that mountain a long time. Build us a golden calf. We'll call that the God that led us out of Egypt. And he did, and because of that, God had Aaron killed in that 20th chapter of Numbers. God promises Noah, Noah, I'll get right in a minute, Moses, you're going to die before you get to the land because... You hit this rock twice and you didn't believe me enough. By the way, in that same 20th chapter of Numbers, Miriam dies. That's the older sister of Aaron and Moses. And she dies because she had murmured against Moses in the ninth chapter of Numbers, said he married a black woman and we think that he shouldn't be leading us and God's fury raged against her. He married an Ethiopian. And God says, Moses, tell Aaron and Miriam to come to the gate and the door of the temple now. How would you like God talking to you like that? Whew. He said, My approval was upon moses marriage i arranged that marriage and you don't talk about my leader that leads for me and he struck miriam she evidently was the one who started all of this gossip and she struck miriam with leprosy and moses began to cry to god god please take the leprosy away from her she's just a child she was older than him, but she didn't have anything spiritual going on in her head. Now all the way through the Bible, all these diseases in the world today, you're trying to people who want to make light of the coronavirus, they might as well make light of any disease that's in America, if it's polio or if it's if it's any kind of People say, well, more people die of flu. Well, but the flu is God's judgment. You didn't get sick if you kept all of his laws and his commandments. You'd never get sick. Flu rampages every year across America. It don't matter which to say, well, coronavirus is not as deadly as flu. What do you think it is? It's all the judgment of God. As well as all those other, you know how many diseases we have. You can't count them. I had I had a lady I knew a lady years ago. She worked at Vanderbilt University Clinic, and she was works in the worked in the lab out there. She said the diseases are coming in at breakneck speed from all over the world. We have no idea in America how many diseases we have that are incurable. I've got two books on that very subject. And I don't have time to get into all of that. And people want to blame me because I won't take sides about the coronavirus. I believe it comes from God, just like Ebola, just like AIDS, just like the rest of these. Like polio came from God. America hasn't been obedient to God's Word. How can they when all these preachers are lying? None of most, not hardly any, believe predestination. Even the Bible says, "Whomsoever "...for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son." Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, then he also glorified. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. And I've told people, I believe in predestination. They say, I don't. I say, you have to. It's in the Bible. You call yourself a Christian? You have to believe it. People are disgusting. I don't know how long it'll take me to get through all these judges. I've already started on some of them i've gotten to ehud i've gotten to gideon to a point and i may be pulling them out at different times tola and jair don't have but about two to three verses on them but it'll talk about how they judged israel for 23 years or for 22 years they were there a long time and as long as the judge was there they were okay. As quick as he died, when you're reading Judges, when you're reading Judges, notice Othniel died. Let me read that to you again. I was going to read to you out of the 26th chapter of Leviticus, but I'll get back to that. But when you're over here in Judges, and this happens every time, that this, the Judges... There were no kings then there's no kings till you get into no kings until you get into first Samuel there's no king till you get to first Samuel nine, actually eight to an extent, and then you get the first Samuel. This comes after judges. The judges are the men who are in charge and they come from different tribes. The king has to come out of Judah. Has to come out of Judah. We know that the scepter will not depart from Judah nor give log- lawgiver from between his feet till Shiloh come and the gathering of the people will be unto Judah. And David is of the tribe of Judah and Jesus was the Lion of Judah. That's the fourth son of Jacob. So you had to come from Judah. And the first man king was Saul. And the only reason Saul was of a tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin is not the proper tribe for a king to come from. The king has to come from Judah. Judah is the fourth son of Jacob. Benjamin is the twelfth son of Jacob. Wrong tribe. Why Benjamin? Because the people kept saying in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, give us a king that he may rule over us. And the Lord says to, says to Samuel, you tell the people in that 12th chapter. You ask for a king to rule over you. When God was your king. And he reminds them in chapter 8. When you get a king. A man king. He'll take your daughters and put them in his bakeries. And they'll have become cooks. And you won't ever see them. He'll put your sons. In front of a chariot going into battle. The king always had 50 soldiers running before his chariot as he's going into battle he said your sons will be running into battle in front of a chariot and all this man king will have is spears and swords and bows and arrows and that's all they'll have and God the king has lightning bolts he has fire from heaven he has every nature Element that you can think of, and you want a man he can't he cannot he cannot he cannot take care of you like God with an earthquake They said, give us a king so god God picks out God picks Saul as the wrong king from the beginning. God picks out Saul of the tribe of Benjamin Whew, I need to stop there and go back to the judges so when you get into and Saul is replaced by David in the in the 16th chapter of 1st Samuel because David was of the tribe of Judah David was God's everlasting king he was of the right tribe Saul was of the wrong drive that's why the Bible would say Bible would say God repented that he made Saul king God didn't find some island a Baptist church and go walking down the outside I want to repent because I made Saul king repent means to turn but he had to plan that turn ahead of time he had David planned before the foundation of the world in the 16th chapter that's another story I've told many times but I'll come back to that later Now, so when they come out of the wilderness, Joshua goes in to conquer the land. Joshua goes in and conquers. Why does he need to conquer? Why does he need to conquer the land of Israel? Because when he gives the land to Abraham around 2100 B.C., When you get down to Israel, going into the land, and it's a little over 1,000 B.C., may around 1,012, and they go into the land, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites have come and settled in the land that was given to Abraham in that 17th chapter of Genesis. They've come in and settled. So God tells them, drive these people out. Abraham owns the land and all of his descendants. And Joshua, you lead the people in, and you conquer these people in this land. And they didn't. He says that in the first and second chapter of Judges. Judges is the first place where they move in, and they're supposed to take over. But they don't. God tells them not to marry these pagan Worshippers. He said, If you marry them, you'll go after their gods, which are Baal and the Grove and Asherah and Shemashaboleh and all the rest of them. And they didn't like the idea that they could do what they wanted. And a new generation rose up that did not know Joshua's God and Joshua's laws. That's in the second chapter. And Joshua dies in the second chapter of Judges. And the people forsake God and go after Baal and Ashtaroth. They get evil. So as soon as they go after and they do evil in the sight of the Lord. Now you're going to see this constantly through the book of Judges. Judges is the first place that Israel becomes... More or less a nation on their own. They're not a literal nation till you get to First Samuel. But they're a nation because they're just coming out of Egypt. All they had was the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so forth. And the list goes on and on all the way down to Israel when they become Israel. So they're going into the land. And notice every time a new judge would come up, Look here in Judges. I read it last week, but let's read it again. In Judges, the third chapter. Judges 3. Joshua is a land where he goes in to fight the people. He fights the battle of Ai. He fights the battle of Jericho. Uh, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho. He does that in Joshua the 6th chapter get to judges and they're moving in they're becoming their own people for the first time since they were taken into bondage and placed in bondage in Exodus the 1st chapter now the first judge as far as the Bible is concerned is Othniel othniel was the nephew of caleb caleb and joshua were the only two men that were 20 years old and upward that got to come in the land because caleb said we'll go fight those giants of anak joshua says i'll fight them caleb says i'll fight them they're the only two men that was over 20. so god kills all the men except joshua And Caleb. And it was Caleb's nephew who was the first judge. Kind of discounting Joshua, he was actually the first judge. But when you count up these judges, there are 13 of them. There were 13 apostles. I thought there were 12. Paul said, I'm an apostle of Christ. Born out of due time. I wasn't numbered. I wasn't numbered with the 12. But he was an apostle. So that makes 13. Israel had 13 tribes. How was that? They had 12 until Joseph was in Egypt and his tribe was split in two, it was split into Ephraim the second-born, and Manasseh, his firstborn. Just like Paul was not numbered with the twelve apostles, Levi, the third son of Jacob, the third son was not numbered with the rest of the tribes. So in order to come up with 12, God splits Joseph's tribes into two and gives Ephraim the second born of Jacob, of Israel. I'll get it right in a minute. Joseph gives him the inheritance of all Israel. Joseph received the inheritance through his second born son Ephraim. And you can read about that in the 48th chapter of Genesis. So, so Levi was not number. Why? He was the priesthood. And the Levites didn't have a land. You won't find his name listed on all of these sons of Jacob. He's not listed. Why? As a priest, he lived all over the land. How did he make a living? Those tribes had to give the Levites some land to work so they could plant. So they could eat. And besides that, they had to give them a tenth of everything they made every year. So they could run their ministry. And that tenth was transferred over to the church in the New Testament. And you'll see the transfer is in Hebrews, the seventh chapter. It's in the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians. And I'm not going to go through all that. People say, where should I tithe? Wherever you get taught now I'm really trying to work my way the first judge verse 9 of chapter 3 judges judges is very important this is where they start ruling themselves after they come out of Egypt after they come out of 40 years in the wilderness and when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord well I need to back up to verse chapter 7, uh, verse 7. Well, verse 5. <laughs> and the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and they were supposed to drive them out of Israel, and God had commanded that. But they didn't, they married them. And Israel took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons. And they serve their gods. This is not, this is the stupidest doctrine that God doesn't want black to marry white. That's ignorance. He didn't want Israel to intermarry with the pagans because they would serve their gods. Had nothing to do with color. Ignorant people that say that. You might as well go join the clan. They took these verses and tried to make that mean that, and it doesn't. When you read that first seven verses of Deuteronomy in the seventh chapter, God says, when you go into the land, do not intermarry, give your sons to their daughters, nor take their daughters for your sons. If you do, they'll stay at home. The wives will stay at home and teach the children sun and tree worship while the husband goes out in the fields and works. They did that in the thirteenth chapter of Hosea. It's just—it's crazy. People come up and try to make this mixed marriage between black and white. You people are stupid. If you can't learn, you're stupid. You can If you can learn, you're just ignorant right now. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. You read that in nearly every chapter when one of these gods, or one of these judges, dies. As soon as Ehud dies, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and began after these gods. When Shamgar dies, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. When Deborah dies, the children of Israel did evil in the sight You're going to see that every time. And when Gideon dies, his son Abimelech takes over. And they try to make Gideon a king. And he said, I'm not going to be a king. I'm of the tribe of Manasseh. The king has to come out of Judah. He knew that. And then his son Abimelech takes over and says, I'll be king. Abimelech was evil. Abimelech had an interesting story. Abimelech went into battle. And a woman hit him in the head with a with a stone it was a it was one of these stones like you real light stone uh volcanic stone and she picked it up and hit him in the head with it and abimelech said to a young man run me through with your spear i do not want it said that abimelech was killed by a woman in battle it's like that was the greatest disgrace so the guy ran him through with the spear and killed Abimelech the son of Gideon when all these guys would die they would go right back to what God says don't do if you do and every time he would put them under the Midianites the Midian would start ruling Gideons, ruling Israel when Gideon was approached and you had when when, Athniel uh, this king, it, it talks about the king of Mesopotamia. He'd, God would turn him over to the sword. That's the first judgment. Every time one of these guys would die, he'd turn him over to the sword after Ehud, that left-handed man, and they thought left-handed men were evil. So God had said, I'll give you a left-handed man to rescue you. It amazes me. Nobody even notices these things are happening. So Othniel, in verse 9, Othniel, the son of Kinez, Caleb's younger brother, he became judge. And then in verse 11, and the land had rest for 40 years under Othniel. And Othniel, the son of Kinez, died. Kenad is Caleb's brother. And then as soon as Othniel dies, the children of Israel did evil and again in the sight of the Lord and went after these other gods. And the king of Moab, as soon as he dies, the king of Moab attacks. That is the sword. That's the sword attacks Israel because they've gone after these other gods. And so Moab attacks. That's the sword of the Lord, his judgment. Then we went over to, we went to Ehud, and he's in the remaining part of this chapter, and he kills Eglon, the king of Moab. Eglon was real big and overweight, and he ran the shaft up into his belly. The Bible says the dirt came out, the waste came out of his belly. And Ehud delivered Israel. Then after that, I skipped the fourth chapter because it's a long chapter on the fight that Israel has. In fact, as soon as Ehud dies, look at, I'm not going to go into this part yet. I'm going to keep this next after after I finished up with Gideon. And if you'll notice, Ehud dies, that's a good man of God. You can name your kid Ehud, that's as good as you can get. And then verse 1 of chapter 4, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. As soon as he dies, they go crazy. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, and the sword is going to hit him one more time. And we'll talk about that later. Look over here, back to I want to look at at the end of the story of Gideon. look at chapter 6 as soon as Deborah is dead Deborah is also a judge she's not a pastor and not a preacher she's a judge in Israel Shamgar has died in fact you can see Shamgar's death Uh, back in chapter, in chapter three. Shamgar dies, and then in the fourth, in the sixth chapter, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Every time the judge dies, this is what they do. I keep wondering, why would they do that? You know what I believe they were doing? Wanting to get along with the world or the enemy. They wanted to get along just like when you go to work on a job and there's a Baptist there and you want to get along with him and you don't say anything about about accept Christ. You just kind of go along with him. You don't say anything about sinner's prayer. You don't want to tell a Baptist that there's no such thing because what you'll do is make an enemy of him. You don't want to tell a Baptist that Christmas is pagan. It was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America. You'll have the sword after you. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midianites seven years. And that's where God has an angel go to Gideon. And Gideon's a dirt farmer, just Nothing magnificent about Gideon. He has no accolades of any kind. He doesn't have any blue blood in him. He doesn't come from royalty. God sends an angel to him and says to him in verse 12, Thou mighty man of valor, our dirt farmer! He's sifting wheat out there. And Gideon says, Are you talking to me? I'm just a farmer! And that's where God tells him to go into all the land of Israel. They have gone after Baal and the grove. And he tells him to destroy all the Baal gods in Israel. So Gideon is going to be, as a righteous judge, these judges clean up the land of Baal and grove and all the sun and tree gods of the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites. The Bible says in Judges the third chapter God names five lords in Israel that they didn't drive out and God says and these are the lords that's going to rise up against you in verse 3 of chapter 3 of Judges the five lords of the Philistines of the Canaanites of the Zidonians and the Hivites that dwell in Mount Lebanon From Mount Baal Hermon. Unto the inner end of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel. To put them in the fire. To whip them good. And that's what they do. They put them in the fire. Now over here. Back to where Gideon. Drives out. He literally takes down all the gods of Israel. And the people in Israel. That worship these gods. Go to the house of his father, Joash, and they tell Joash, Joash, will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? He will plead for him. Let him be put to death whilst it is yet morning. We won't get in to die. All the people of Israel gather around Joash's house. Joash was as common as Joe in our in our time. There's many men named Joash through the Bible. This is just one of them. Verse 31. We want him to be put to death. Joash says, well, if he is a god, let him plead for himself. Plead is the word room. It means to fight. If, if Baal is really a god, can he fight his own battles? Why do you have to kill Gideon? And he scatters the men. Now Gideon goes to the Lord and he says to him In verse thirty six If thou if Gideon and Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as you have said, I'm gonna have to fight this enemy. And the enemy is the Gideon is the Midianites. now, God, if you want me to go into battle, put my life on the line against this huge army, this army that is going to fight has a hundred and twenty thousand men and gideon Gideon is of the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh is the second-born son of Joseph. He is by far not an honorable tribe. Ephraim was the head of all northern Israel, the second-born son of Joseph. Now, people talk about laying out a fleece before God. Here's the story of the fleece right here. But notice what he's saying. Do you want me to go out towards the Midianites and destroy them and have me out in front of the army. That's not like the fleece that these preachers come up with. Let's read the fleece. Behold, I will put a fleece of wool, verse 37, in the floor. I'll put a fleece of wool on the floor. A fleece is the fur that grows on the sheep. Put a fleece on the floor and if the do be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon the earth beside it, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by my hand. Notice what the fleece is about. It's about Gideon putting his life on the line and being willing to stand in front of an army against a huge army and lay his life down. It's not about... Preachers talking about a fleece. Preachers talk about well, God, if you want me to take this church that runs five thousand and I'm only running five hundred here where I am, you do such and such on a fleece. you let me know, and then he tells his wife, You go pack while I go pray. No, that ain't the way it works. And they're going to raise me up to three hundred thousand a year. I don't make it forty thousand here at this little church. That's not a fleece. that's a con. Have you ever heard of anybody laying out a fleece like that? That's not a fleece. A fleece has to be when you put your life on the line. Now that's what Gideon's doing, and it was so for he arose up early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wring the dew out of the fleece a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Don't be angry at me and be hot at me. God, I just want to make sure. I will speak this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with a fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece and upon the ground let it be dew. God did so that night. A fleece is not well, let me find out if you want me to prosper somewhere. The fleece of Gideon had to do, you want me in front of the army and to face the Midianites? You just do this and I will do that. You know what this is a picture of? Two witnesses. And God did that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew upon the ground. Now, Verse 1 of chapter 7. Then Baal. Remember, Jerubbaal. Remember, Jerubael was a title for Gideon. That's what he was called in verse 32 of the previous chapter. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubbaal, saying, Let Baal plead against him. That's what it means. Let Baal do his own fighting. So, that's what Gideon's nickname was. Jerubbaal. Let, get, let, let Baal fight his own battles what it meant and Jerubal which is Gideon verse 1 and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod so that the host of the Midianites And I notice I keep saying the Midianites was the sword of God because people kept going back to evil And that's going to be true all the way through 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. They're going to constantly go after these idol gods. And the judgments of God are true from one end of the Old Testament to the end of the New. The sword, the famine, the pestilence. I believe all the diseases that have come upon America are the judgment of God. They go back for hundreds of years, even a thousand years. When you preach what the preachers are preaching, and you preach lies in the name of God, and you twist and rinse the scriptures, judgment is on the way. People are trying to get out of this, blaming the coronavirus on Bill Gates. I don't care who's behind it. I don't care what it is. God moves upon evil men's hearts to do their evil doings, to bring judgment on His people who are ignoring His Word. How much time to have, Mike? I thought I'd get through Gideon, but I'm not doing very well. Jerubabal, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the earth, side, on the north side of them by the hill of Mora, in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, now you've made a deal with me and I've made the fleece wet and made it dry. And you said you go up against the Midianites, but I want you to do it my way and not your way. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give give the Midianites into their hands. You've got too many Israelites that want to go against the Midianites, and they're going to take credit for this. But they didn't have very many, not compared to the number. How do you know, Jim? I know how many Midianites died. A hundred and twenty thousand. Israel don't have near that many. Not even close to it. Well, let's look and see. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. You give Israel too many, and they'll think they did it. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Of all these men that are soldiers of Israel, say this to them, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return, go home, and depart early from Mount Gilead. And they returned or went away from the army of Israel, 20 and 2,000. That's not even close to 120,000 that they got to fight. And all that remained to go against the 120,000 Midianites was 10,000. And then God says that's still too many you'll take the credit with 10,000 people against 120,000 how do you know it was 120 it tells you how many were killed in the 8th chapter and the 10th verse 120,000 Midianites were killed but God says 10,000 are too many Israel will take the credit So the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. 10,000 against 120,000. If they win, they'll take the credit for it. I can do that with 10,000, but I want less than that. So I get all the credit, God says. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them for thee here. And it shall be that... Of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee. The same shall go with thee of whomsoever I say unto thee. I'm going to tell you, and we're going to have a way of checking out who I want to go. This shall not go with thee. The same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Every one that lappeth the water with the tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees, Stuck their face in the water and drank it like a dog. And the Lord said, all I want is 300, these 300 men against (laughs) 120,000. I don't know if I didn't want to quit at this point. (laughs) Woo! (sighs) Woo! By these three hundred that left will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go every man unto his place. Get rid of everybody except these three hundred. You know why I believe he did that? When they knelt down they knelt down, picked the water up, and they would look They were men who were, they were men who were astute. They were well versed in the ways of war. They were watching for the enemy drinking the water. They were the only people paying any attention. God says, all I need is 300 to beat these 120,000 Midianites. And you're not going to need any weapons either. I'm going to play with their minds. That's what God did with Elisha there in 2 Kings, that fourth chapter, or third chapter. He played with the minds of the enemy. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By these three hundred will I save you and deliver the Midianites unto thy hand, and let all the other people go, every man unto his place. So the people took food in their hands and their trumpets, and they set all the rest of Israel, every man into his tent, retained these 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. They're on the top of a hill, and the Midianites are down in a valley. That's part of God's plan. He had the Midianites pull in a valley, park in a valley, and they were on top of a hill. That's part of the program. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Rise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into your hand. They're delivered. They don't look delivered to me. There's a big army down there. And we're 300. We don't have no swords or spears. I'm going to give you what you need, a lamp and a trumpet each, and that's all I want you to have. If thou fear to go down, Go thou with Fura, the servant, down to the host. Thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shalt thine hands be strengthened to go down into the host. Then went he down with Fura, his servant, into the outside of the armed men that were in the host. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the children of east, east lay along the valley like grasshoppers for a multitude. And Israel had 300. They were as the number, without number, as the sand by the seaside for a multitude. And they're going to fight. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a a cake of barley bread tumbled unto the host of Midian And came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay alongside. Israel was always called the bread. And we being many are one bread and one body. Do I have any time? I'll just kind of tell you what happens. God says, I want these 300 men to have a trumpet and I want you to shout, blow the trumpet, break the lamps, three hundred men, and shout the sword of God and Gideon!" And as they break the lamps and sounded the trumpets, the Midianites begin to turn on one another and kill each other. See, God played with their minds, and then Gideon dies, and they go back. other gods and that's the sword that God promised and all through the book of you get into all of these men and this one woman and they all keep as soon as they die Israel goes after these other gods and God said if you go after other gods I'll send the sword the famine the pestilence and then I'll send the beast but that's true all the way through the Bible. That's It didn't stop with the New Testament church. The book of Judges is true with us. And the judge is God. And we being many are... We are the bread and the body of Christ, and we are the judges. The word God means a judge. And Christ is in us, and we judge righteous judgment. And we tell people the truth. All I'm trying to do is tell people, if you are disobedient to God, God will bring the sword on your life. God is bringing the sword upon America. I don't know how we can exist. I don't believe we're going to live that much longer. I know I won't. I'll be 82 in May. I'm not going to live that much longer. I don't know if I'll be here to see the end. I wouldn't be surprised to see the end of time come in the next 20 years. I won't live 20 more years, but I won't be surprised to see that happen. I believe we're right on the verge of eternity. America is insane. The the politicians are nuts. The preachers are crazy. They don't care what the truth is. The Baptists are lying. The Pentecostals, to say the least, are lying. There's no such thing as Pentecostal tongues and faith healing. You keep lying like that, and the end's going to come. There's no tongues. Gloss and dialectos are the word tongue. Gloss is foreign language. Dialectos is the word dialect. You guys don't even care what the truth is i don't like pentecostalism i didn't say i didn't like pentecostals we got a bunch of pentecostals ex-pentecostals that come here and they don't they don't speak in tongues anymore they don't believe in faith healing anymore what gets me fred price died on the internet it said he gave his people permission to to let them know that his time had come to die And they're giving him permission that he can go ahead and die by his own will. I'm sorry, but Jesus holds the keys of death and hell. I don't see how Fred Price could have gone to heaven. I don't see how Billy Graham went to heaven. They both lied. You can't lie and get to heaven. I've run out of time. I'll come back and we'll hit Sisera, another judge. When I go through these judges, God does the same thing with these that he does under the kings, and that's the same thing he's doing to America for all the lies that's in America. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, I don't know how to preach. This is an unbelievable word. you got me up here preaching. Sometimes I feel like you need to send an angel down, I mean a heavenly angel to preach to us all. This book is so magnificently complex. It's not complicated, Lord. It's, it's There's so many actions in it. Help me to impart this to the people. I'm really tired, Lord, of this world. I'm tired of the preachers. I'm tired of the politicians. I don't care about any of them. Fight our battles for us. I'm not going to fight ever again. These people that are struggling with the truth is, Lord, deal with their hearts. We'll praise you and glorify you for everything that happens, the good and the bad, because it's all for our good. Fight our battles in Christ's name. We pray, amen. I feel like I'm just taking forever to get through this. It's not any different in the judges than it is in our day and time. No different. America keeps going after their idolatry, serving what they see. That is a lot of stuff, isn't it? I hope you all are getting a hold of it.